it always really puzzles me that I'm the one that lives with my condition, the pain of it. I live in inaccessible society where I can't find accessible housing. I can't use public transport. I struggle to get a job. Yet everybody else is awkward around disability, but it doesn't affect them. It affects me. Besharam, Batamiz, Chi Chi, Gandhi, Chalhata, Toba Toba, Oho, Bad Betty. I'm Sangeeta Pillai, and this is the Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. This award-winning feminist podcast for and by South Asian women is all about cultural taboos, sex, sexuality, periods, mental health, menopause, nipple hair, shame, and many more taboos. Join me around my virtual kitchen table as I talk with some inspiring women from around the world, exploring what it means to be a South Asian feminist today. It was a real pleasure to interview disability rights activist Shani Dhanda for Masala Podcast. Shani is a multi-award-winning disability specialist and social entrepreneur, listed as one of the UK's most influential disabled people. Shani is also part of the BBC's list of 100 inspiring and influential women for 2020. I found Shani an absolute joy to chat with. I loved her authenticity and her passion. Shani makes these important conversations so much easier. I have no doubt she will carry on changing the world in all sorts of very important ways. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So I always describe myself as a very proud Brummie. So I'm from Birmingham in the UK, who lives in London. I was born into a big Punjabi Sikh family. So within a big South Asian community in the West Midlands. And I was born with a, a rare genetic condition. It's called osteogenesis imperfecta, and it's more commonly known as brittle bone disease. And the condition is characterized by bones that break very easily without any trauma. And by the age of 14, I had broken my legs six times. So what it really meant is I never really had to have any accident or injury in order to, to break my bones, essentially. I think the most noticeable thing about me when people meet me is that I have a short stature, uh, you know, as a result of the condition. So I'm about three foot ten in height, which is the height of a four year old. I grew up with a tough condition. It was very unpredictable. I just used to break, you know, my life used to go on hold. I also went to a special needs primary school uh, because that's what inclusion was 35 years ago. But I I was in a very loving and, and big supportive family, which I'm very grateful for. That's really lovely to hear. And growing up, did you feel like people or family or wider family kind of understood your condition and what that meant? And did you what was the reaction like around you? It was it was a difficult time. I didn't get my diagnosis until I was two years old. And that's because, as I mentioned, the condition's quite rare. So I had to go to specialist hospitals and doctors in order to get that. I, I'm a middle child in my family, so I have an older sister and a younger brother. 
And I never felt that like my parents treated me differently. So, you know, I always used to get smacked and I was cheeky. <laughs> the same was always expected of me as as, yeah. as was them. Yeah. Even if I might, you know, my leg was in plaster, even if, yeah. you know, I was in pain or whatever. And I'm really glad. I know it sounds really tough. I know it sounds really harsh, but I'm really glad that my parents instilled that value in me because life's pretty hard when you live in a world that isn't designed for you. So I remember growing up and the word can't, I can't was banned in my house. My mom's like, you're not allowed to say that. You always got to try and do it. And if you can't do it, you've got to find another way. And I think that's, I guess, why I have the strength that I have today or a big, a big part of it. But I think in terms of any sort of barriers, I think the only, the only barriers I really face is the fact that disability faces an even further sense of stigma in South Asian communities. And in a way, when you're part of a big South Asian community, you have a lot of protection because you've got loads of cousins. So I was never lonely. You know, I had loads of people to play with as a child. I always had company. My grandmother lived with us. We were best friends. And even in my local community, when we would go to the Godwara, the Sikh temple, everybody knew me. So there wasn't any sort of feeling of being left out or being bullied but I think it's when I was becoming a young woman, that's when I started to notice certain inequalities and just certain different types of behaviour. And I think it was mainly when, you know, people who had who had known my entire family before I was even born and who had seen me grow up, so knew me, knew my personality, but were really surprised to learn that I wanted to go to university or you know, they were really shocked and nearly fell off their chairs when I told them I'd learned how to drive. I just think they couldn't comprehend how how I'd be doing it because I think I just, they just thought I wouldn't want it or wouldn't be able to. That was quite tough. And I think initially when I was first born, my mum actually faced a lot of backlash because I was the second daughter and the comments that she sort of had were like, you worked too hard in your pregnancy not only have you had another daughter, but look, she's disabled. And I just I just can't wow. imagine why people would say that. Like, it's not yeah. helpful. It's not supportive. Yeah. It's really cruel, isn't it? It is. And there, there were no other disabled children in the community mm. that I grew up in. So mm. I can't imagine how much of an isolating experience that was, especially for my mum, because she, brought, she had to yeah. bear the brunt of those comments, not my dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is always the way, isn't it, in Absolutely. South Asian families? Yeah. It's always the mum, it's always the women, really, that pick up the brunt of all of this. Yeah. It's, you know, like, it's hard being disabled, I think, in any culture, right? But I feel like within our culture, within South Asian culture, that's even more complicated. Yeah. Uh, because we don't even talk about disability, you know, as a thing. Where do you think this comes from? Oh, I've been scratching my head and really trying to figure this out myself for a really long time because if you think about it we as a south asian community in the uk we're highly regarded and we're we are always recognized for our contribution across society like medicine politics for example you will see very good representation of south asians in those sorts of fields so it's not like we're a community that is 
facing mass uneducation, that we aren't integrated in society, that we don't have any disabled people. Because the irony is, is that there are more South Asians who experience disability than our white British counterparts. And that's why I really got into the sort of space that I'm in where I'm I'm trying to help in, improve representation, speak about disability inclusion, not only in mainstream audiences, but within the South Asian community. Because when I look at the representation that I have, it's just of white British disabled people. Yet there are yeah. more South Asian disabled people that exist in this country. We also can't overlook the fact of culture, generational attitudes, traditions, as well as religious beliefs. So I'm Sikh and I've had so many people say to me, oh, you must have done something bad in your past life in order to be born with this condition. And I'm just like, what? Like, I totally respect everyone's beliefs. Like, believe what you want to believe, but don't put it on to other people. I think, again... I actually remember a time when people were saying this to me and I started to feel guilty. I was like, oh, what could I have done? Was I a murderer? Did I do this? Did I... It's not a nice thing to say and yeah. it's not helpful. If that was my belief, then that's something personal to me. However, that that's one narrative I've heard, whereas I've heard a newer, much kinder narrative that actually says, these are other parents that I've spoken to that, that have had children with disabilities they've just sort of said actually it's a massive blessing it's it's server I get to do selfless service and I get this amazing child and God has given this child to me to look after and it's not it's not because anyone's done something bad in in their past lives and isn't it it's beautiful to hear but isn't it sad that I've had to wait over 30 years to hear that Version. I know. So I know. there's 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 so many layers of of why we have such a, a poor yeah. outlook on disabilities, and then other factors as well. You know, many people think disabled people don't have the same needs and desires as non-disabled people, but I think disability is largely very misunderstood, not only in the South Asian community, but in every community, mm. because essentially. Mm. The fact that I have this condition to me is just like I've got brown hair. That's just another hmm. feature of yeah. me. I, I don't wake up every morning and sit there and say, oh, my God, I've got this condition. What am I going to do? I've never known any different. So it always really puzzles me that I'm the one that lives with my condition, the pain of it. I live in an accessible society where I can't find accessible housing. I can't use public transport. I struggle to get a job. Yet everybody else is awkward around disability, but it doesn't affect them. It affects me. Yeah. What's that about? That's really ironic, isn't it? So many things that you said there. I think one, I don't think there's anything in our culture that teaches us to look at disabled people differently. I mean, I don't, I'm sure it's the same in Sikhism I know there's nothing in Hinduism that is like that. I think that's our own interpretation of it, like this past life malarkey. It's just, I think, where we take something and then extrapolate it into something else that actually doesn't have any relevance because we don't know how to deal with it, I think. I don't think there's anything 
wrong in the culture that that we've come from yeah and i think what you said again i think it's other people's discomfort and that's the thing you touched upon it's other people not knowing how to act around people who are slightly different yeah and then they don't know what to do with that and then that discomfort turns into weird things that people say i think yeah and isn't you know, it like some things that people have said to me they're like oh if i had this condition i'd kill myself what it's just like <sighs> what okay like what i think what that really means or what i translate that to mean is that you think that this is so unbearable that your life wouldn't be worth living anymore that says a lot about the person that said it yeah. but yeah. when we think about it what representation is there of disability that's positive because my personal opinion is if you're disabled in the UK you're either viewed as a benefit cheat or that you want to be a paralympian there's no middle ground yeah yeah like i want to put on my tv and see disabled ceos disabled mothers just yeah people living with conditions and impairments just going yeah. about their life yeah and I, yeah. and again what people don't realize is it's not always our conditions and impairments that disable us my condition doesn't disable me i've achieved so i've achieved more than non-disabled people mm. despite living with my condition the things mm. that disable me are things like living in an inaccessible society and the bias that i face yeah Yeah. that's what disables me but people don't see it like that they see it as a, a a medical problem that is down to the individual to solve of course we need to work with our medical professionals to do that but people just think oh yeah we need to fix you and let's put you yeah. in this wheelchair yeah. Yeah. oh we'll be fine but it, there's much more to it than that so i think we still yeah. need to do massive massive education within all communities on this i think it's let's make you like us and then we'll understand you better i think is is the thing rather than sort of trying to figure out there was an article i think i was reading in the metro where you talked about this asian guy random asian guy at a bus stop who comes up to you and says well you're never going to get married and have kids and that struck me like as cruel on so many levels but also so presumptuous like how how does he know what you want maybe you don't want marriage and kids like that's not your ultimate right? goal yeah. or maybe you do i mean It's just like what gives people the right to assume anything about anybody else. Oh, no. this, right? This particular incident happened to me when I was around 1920. I had just finished uni. My my had like a 3 hour lecture in the morning and I had to catch two buses to go to work. I was just about to get on the second bus and he was at the bus stop and I was at the bus stop. This The, the, this guy was an elderly a south asian guy um and yeah just out of nowhere not he didn't even say hello he just said oh isn't it isn't it a shame you're never going to get married and you're never going to have so he said it in punjabi he said tere niyane bhi nahi hone tere tere bhiya bhi nahi hona i was like what you know i was going about my day Yeah. I'm a very optimistic person. You yeah. always see me with a smile on my yeah. face. You know, I was thinking of probably, you know, what we're going to do when I go to work. What am I going to eat for lunch that day? And then all of a sudden, this comment was like a punch in the face. Mm. I didn't know what to do. But I think this is what a lot of people assume. And even though earlier I spoke and I said, you know, my family have never treated me differently. There's actually one thing 
that they have treated me differently about. And I think it's, again, because of their discomfort around the topic. Mm. But I must be the only South Asian woman who has never been pressured to get married. Mm. My family have never talked to me about getting married. And on one hand, I love it. Be- because like, if I wanted to get married, I would find who I wanted to get yeah. married to do it. I don't need them to yeah. do it. Yeah. And I wouldn't want them to. But on the other hand, I'm like, you taught me that there's no such word as can't. You didn't treat me any differently. So why haven't you spoken to me about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I think, I just think people think that people won't want to marry me. And I know that's not the case. And I just think it's, I just think though, when it comes to the when it comes to the topic of things like marriage and having kids, we still have very, very superficial conversations. Mm. Like I'm always telling my mum off about this as well. She's like, Oh, them two would make a good couple because they're the same height. And I'm like, What? <laughs> I was like, What if that person's true soulmate is seven foot? And what? She's like, yeah, but then that would look nice one. I'm like, you mum, you've got to stop this. I'm like, I'm the founder of the Asian Woman Festival and I can't even get my mum to see this differently. So there is so much that people perpetuate without Mm. realising they're doing it. You know, it's like, what height is this person? What's their skin colour like? How highly are they educated? We are so superficial in all of these conversations. And I think then other people feel a pressure and then have this sort of wish list or tick list. And then, you know, then they get frustrated when they can't find the perfect person. The whole conversation of this needs to change. But absolutely, there's, there's no doubt about it. You know, people definitely assume that we, as people that live with conditions and impairments, either can't or don't want the same. But... Yeah. We we are just as human as the next person. Just because I live with a condition doesn't mean my emotions are switched off. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so there's always that to deal with as well. And it, it's 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 hard to live in a in an ableist world, an ableist society. And and ableism is what racism is to race. It's a view that typical abilities are superior. And I think that the best way to spot ableism is to replace a situation with gender or race. So, for example, if buildings made it impossible for women to enter, that would definitely be sexist, right? Yes. But it's happening now to disabled yes. people. There are so many buildings Absolutely. that people can't Absolutely. enter. That, that's ableism. As someone who is non-disabled... I don't think I quite understood how much the world was set up for someone like me. Everything in my flat, from the height of the sink to the cooker, none of these things are adjustable. I live in London and so many tube stations don't have lifts. Even if there are lifts, sometimes you have to go up a flight of stairs to get to the lift. The little Asian food market where I shop for my Indian groceries doesn't have step-free access. The places and spaces that I occupy have been created only for someone like me. The only time I get a tiny taste of how things could be different is when I travel with luggage. I have two slip discs in my upper back which means I can't lift anything heavy. 
So that's when I need lifts and escalators and people to help me. But that's just one time. The rest of the time, the world is set up for me. It's a privilege to operate in the world like I do. Sadly, I don't think I even see it most of the time. I think people with able bodies, for the lack of, assume that the world is exactly the same. And I guess the world is very different, right? Say for you, in, in, an, in a normal day, talk me through what are the things, like the building you said, in a day when you're waking up to the time you go to sleep, what are the, how is the world not fit for you? This is a brilliant question. And I actually filmed like a day in my life just to count all the barriers. And there were 13 in the day. So the first thing is when I wake up in the morning and I want to brush my teeth, I have to get a stool to stand on because I can't reach my sink in the bathroom. That's one. And then the second one is I'll need to use a stool again around the kitchen because I can't reach much in there either. (laughs) In terms of like my wardrobe, I've been able to lower like the shelves and the rails in there. That's great. So as I mentioned, I can't use public transport because it's not accessible. Um, So I'd either have to get a taxi. I do drive, but because I live in London, it's so difficult. I I never get anywhere on time. And parking is so difficult. There's like literally no disabled parking in London. And I don't know why. Then let's say I'm going to go into the office. I have certain adjustments for me. So I have a specially made chair because my proportions won't be comfortable in an average size office chair. Then I have yeah. a footstool as well because yeah. my legs are always dangling. And I have a, um, a smaller keyboard as well because that helps with my posture yeah. and things. So there's that. Then let's say I need to go and get some lunch. I don't know why, but everything I always want to eat is always on the top shelf. So you need to ask someone to help, you know, get <laughs> to that down. get it for you. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm only at lunchtime and these are all the barriers I've faced. Yeah. And then yeah. let's say I wanted to go to the supermarket, you know, I have to ask people to help me reach things. I can only buy yeah. a certain amount of things because I can't carry many things. I always try and use the trolley that's made for wheelchair users because it's much lower yeah. So yeah, it's kind of a never-ending list, and th- that's yeah. just an average, a, a, a mundane was, day yeah. in, in yeah. the life of me. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So we're not even talking about, I don't know, reaching for your dreams and finding your partner, or you know, like the big, bigger kind of goals that each of us has. This is just the everyday: getting yourself, making up breakfast, and fixing yourself a tea, and getting to work. I think most people in the world don't think of this, and. The other thing I think you just said there is like, but everybody wants similar things. Like we want love. We want to find a purpose. We want a life that's fulfilled. We want to have fun. You know, these are kind of everybody, every human being wants these things. But if even the basics are so out of reach, how are you even expected to? I agree. And I think it's, I think a large part of this is because firstly, people don't understand the reality of what it's like to live with a conditional impairment yeah you know throughout covid i saw so much empathy so much compassion for one another because it was something that we were all in together and i think that concept of lockdown was a way for many people to feel what it's like when you want to do something but external reasons won't let you you know 
There yeah. are people where they can't even leave their house because it's not accessible. Yeah. They won't be able to get back in. Or let's say they need carers and they have to go to bed at 6pm because that's the only time the carers can come and do that for them because that's the way that the support system works. There are people that pre-pandemic wanted to work and wanted to work from home but were always told, no, we can never do that. It's not safe, data protection, we don't trust you. But as soon as there was a global pandemic and it suited the majority, we were all working from home overnight. So I think the biggest reason that lots of this inequality exists is because as a society, we don't understand the problem. So when people aren't aware, they don't know how to help. People that are in decision-making positions are only making decisions based on their own bias, based on their own knowledge, and not thinking about the whole range of human diversity that exists. So all it's doing is just perpetuating all of these inequalities. And, you know, before the pandemic, I used to say, there's never been a better time to be a disabled person. And people used to look at me funny, like, why would you say that? Like, what a weird thing to say. But I used to say that because then disabled people were really finding their own voice. We didn't have to wait for major broadcasters to give us that voice or platform. We could reclaim it ourselves using social media, YouTube, things like that. And then suddenly everything changed overnight. And now I'm really embarrassed to say that I'm from the UK right now because of the way in which the government has behaved, but especially because of the way it is treating vulnerable and disabled people. It's like your life didn't matter. And, you know, the whole conversation about restrictions and lockdowns, people were like, well, why should we stay at home because of vulnerable people? Why do I have to wear a mask because of this? And I think unless people don't realise everybody's struggles are tied to each other's, that we are all in this together, that why is it fair for vulnerable people to have to put their lives on hold just so the majority can get back to theirs? Because people think that this will never be them. People think that disabled people are in this camp and non-disabled people are in this camp. But out of 14 million disabled people in the UK... 80% of those disabled people were not born with a condition or an impairment. They acquired an impairment throughout their life. So the chances are that disability is something that is going to affect you, whether that's personally, a loved one, somebody in the workplace. There's no escaping it. And we shouldn't go around thinking that we're immortal and we're going to live forever Because ageing is something that if we all live to an old age, which we are as a society, you know, that's a natural part of experiencing disability at that age even then. So I think we really need to shift the thinking of this whole conversation. Sometimes I wake up with aching bones. I used to think that was something that only happened to much older people. You know, the grandmas, the nannies, the ammachis, which means older women in Malayalam, by the way. So while my body is starting to age, and as uncomfortable as I feel saying it out loud, it is the truth. I can feel my body slowly growing older, getting creakier. When you're young, it's impossible to imagine being old. 
we expect to always remain in the world just as we are, bending our bodies to our will, sometimes misusing them because we can. The first time you realize that your body might not always stay as supple and as nimble as you're used to, well, it's a bit of a shock. I can now imagine what it must feel like to not be able to get out of bed because of stiff joints and aches and pains. I look around at where I live and I think to myself, what would I need to do? What changes would I need to make if that were to happen? Talk of growing older is seen as morbid somehow. But as surely as we were born into this world, we will all grow older and we will all leave the world at some point. Every single one of us. So shouldn't we be thinking about if we're all in, in that place, how do we then create a world that works for people in that place? Uh, that's what I don't get. We are not designing for our future selves. I can say that because it's affecting me now and it, it will continue to obviously affect me in the future. But that's what I don't understand. For those who, yeah, it may not have affected, you're in for a big shock. Like yeah. housing, for example, only 9% of the housing in the UK is accessible. Only 9%, whereas 22% of the population are disabled. Now, I'm not saying that every one of those people are wheelchair users or they have the same needs. Of course not. But there's a big gap there. And, you know, if we stick with the topic of housing, there's a housing crisis. So what what are we expected to do? Where are people going to live? I think as well, it's really important to recognise that we as disabled people don't have privilege and we don't have power. I want to use an example of the COVID vaccine. It took a non-disabled white woman to get disabled people priority for the vaccine. This lady's name's Jo Wiley. She's a BBC radio presenter. She has a sister with learning disabilities. She had to use her voice as an ally for us as a community But it's not because there weren't any disabled people saying the same thing already. But it's because we don't have that same privilege. People don't want to listen to us. People just think, oh, stop moaning. Just be grateful for what you've got. But people don't understand the reality. So even without thinking, oh, this might be me, why not try and think about, you know what, how can I be a better ally? And how can I really help people? Because, you know, before the pandemic, I used to talk about things like getting more disabled people into work, into creative industries, being entrepreneurs. I don't even feel that I can have that conversation right now. It's like, how do we make sure disabled people can meet the unavoidable extra costs that they're meeting? How do we ensure that more disabled people aren't falling into poverty? You can't think about those nice to have things if you can't afford to pay your bills. And disabled people face unavoidable extra costs of £583 a month more. You know, that's a big stress to have on your head. If you can't if you, if you can't work or perhaps you're not given an opportunity to work, the welfare system doesn't help you. I don't know how people are managing. I really don't. How, Shani, can we be better allies? 
obviously I could share a hundred things, but I'm going to share a few impactful things and people that things yeah. that people can do straight away. So the first thing is to really understand disability. You need to understand that it's a social construct. Like, for example, I don't experience disability 24-7. It's only when I'm faced with a barrier or a bias. So I'm just a person and I live with a condition. I am not disabled until the point of someone or something has made me experience that. So that means that we can change that. That doesn't have to be my experience. So first, educate yourself on disability. Get to know what it means, the definition of it, and, and learn about it. The second way is to diversify where you're getting your social media stuff, whatever you watch on TV. That's another great way to learn about it and educate yourself. There are so many disabled content creators. There are so many films, books, podcasts that, you know, that have been created by disabled people or featuring disabled people and seek out people from your own community as well. Thirdly, to be an ally, you need to understand that it's it's more than just being a good friend and it's more than just dipping your toe into a conversation. An ally means that you're taking somebody else's struggle on as your own, but you don't know what it feels like to be that person, but you want to be a bridge between those two communities. Yeah. Like Joe Wiley, for example, the lady that I mentioned a little earlier on. So if you're going to do it, you've got to do it with good intent. That means... Yeah raising your voice for when something isn't right let's say somebody says something massively ableist or let's say you can see a better way of doing something to make something a bit more inclusive maybe it's a policy at work maybe it's something when you're out in the supermarket it can be anything and quite often I I have found myself in situations where people are taking pictures of me and videos of me not because like they're doing it in a nice way, because they want to do it and have a laugh at me or, you know, send it to their friends on Snapchat. And I have now found the courage to go up to these people and confront them. And nobody ever expects me to do that. But nobody ever else standing around watching ever steps in. And I can't explain to you how vulnerable I feel in that situation. I always end up crying and... No one steps in and it always, it always surprises me. It's like I'm a vulnerable woman and they're always men. They're always big men that do this. And what happens is they always just start screaming and shouting back at me. And I'm like, hello, somebody help me here, please. Just ask if I'm okay. Nobody ever does. So look, I'm not asking you to go and beat up horrible people that commit hate crimes against disabled people. But what would be nice is if people just weren't bystanders, like, and that's what I mean by understand what it means to be an ally, because I think people just think it's, oh, yeah, I support this cause, but it's way more than that. And I think for us as South Asians, really look at the spaces that South Asian people occupy, like places of worship, community centres. If you're going to go to a wedding, if you're going to host a family event, is it accessible? Like, you will have elderly people attending. You will have all different people with different types of abilities attending. Just give a little bit more thought about it. And if you don't know what to do, just ask. You know, I'm so happy when people ask me. I'm never offended at all. Because what it shows me is that someone's actually put effort and thought into this. My needs have been considered. That's It's Absolutely. not that difficult. 
It doesn't sound that difficult. And I think that kind of behavior that you described is shameful. I think, you know, the video taking and, oh God, I can't even, it, it just makes me really mad. Shani, as a South Asian woman who's disabled, you've got like the double whammy of discrimination, I think, you know. I know as South Asian women, like how difficult it is to make your way in the world. And then you've got this extra thing to deal with. Every time I've I kind of seen your videos or we've chatted or any interaction that I've had with you, you are so positive. And I don't mean that in a, oh, let's all be positive kind of instagram way. I mean, like really positive, like really standing there and kind of owning who you are and what you are. How have you navigated this? You know, everyone asks me this and I never know how to answer it because I, I'm just me and... I think there's many different factors that have contributed to this. Definitely being Sikh, definitely with the upbringing that I had. So in Sikhism, we have something called Jardigala, which means eternal optimism. It means that no matter what you're facing, it not, not to mean to say, you know, everything's easy and it's got roses on it. And, it, you know, not I don't mean that. It means that despite whatever hardships you're facing you know as Sikhs we have the strength within us to face that with optimism and with strength and I can't deny that that's not something that I don't have I do I have bucket loads of it and I'm surrounded by it I, I was also you know raised in a, in a family where I was encouraged to always do my best be what I wanted to be to a certain degree, though, because I did have to fight for some freedoms as a South Asian girl <laughs> and woman. Having supportive fa- family, uh, an extended family was massively important. Equally, I did have to do a lot of work to get to this point. If you had met the 20 year old version of me, I wanted nothing to do with my disability identity. I wow. really I hated it, I shunned it, but that was because I'd only experienced a lot of challenges and barriers up until that point and it was actually in my early 20s where I discovered the social model of disability and the social model was written by disabled people and it says it's not our conditions that disable us it's the world you know disability is a social construct as soon as I learned that it's like this whole weight was lifted off my shoulders and it's it just made so much sense to me and that's where things changed for me and then on one hand, I was like trying to do everything I could to get away from this identity. But if I needed to park somewhere, I'd be using my disabled parking badge to park in an accessible bay. I use a disabled toilet. If you want to go to a concert, bring the disabled booking line. It was this conflict. It's like I'm trying to get away from it. But if I want to do anything yeah. in life, I've got to always yeah. use yeah. this disabled service or this. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was just like, what a contradiction. So. Yeah. If I wasn't happy in yeah. who I am, my appearance, yeah. who I am in my family, my faith, I think all of this would have been a very different journey for me. And again, like faith has always been a big thing in my life and growing up. And I'm actually the only person in my family who was a, a non-baptized Sikh. And that was a big issue for my family. And I had to go through that. And there was a lot of turmoil at home for a certain number of months because my family were quite upset with me. My parents, they were like, this is all you've ever known. This is how we've raised you. Why don't you want to be like this? And I obviously had to be the child. Like, I was like always the child that questioned everything. 
Yeah. Whereas my siblings had just got on with it, you know. <laughs> I think they were like the good kids, <laughs> the good kids. And my parents were like, why are you like this? Yeah, I, I, I don't want to give the impression that everything's always been rosy because far from it. But no, I, I just think it takes so much more effort to be negative and sad rather than think, well, what good can come of this? And everything that I do, everything that I advocate for, it isn't purely to benefit my for me for me it's for everyone in my in the communities that I am yeah. part of whether that's a South Asian community the disability community um because I I know that my voice can help other people like what I do with it and how I can be an advocate can help so many other people you know, over the last couple of months, I've been enjoying lots of different on-screen opportunities. Yes. And I thought, wow, isn't this a great win for, you know, disabled people from ethnic minority communities? But, you know, the messages that I get are equally from non-disabled people telling me that they are loving seeing, you know, their stories or something that resonates with them being brought to life. So Whereas I thought I'm doing it for X, Y, and Z, it's yeah. gone it's gone far beyond that. And yeah. that's what's been yeah. really nice to see as well. I think that's really, really heartening, actually. And it must be really, really inspiring for other South Asian people, disabled people, people from any marginalized community to see you take up space in this way. Like I've seen you on telly, I've seen you on TED Talks, I've seen you like, in so many amazing places. And I always, it always fills me with great pride. I mean, I don't even know you, but I just feel really proud and inspired, I think, by your journey. Because I know how hard it is to fight when you come from a background that isn't kind of created for you, whatever that might be. Like I struggle as I'm an immigrant. I live in the UK. I've been here 16 years. So there've been loads of things that I've struggled with in, you know, in my way or to create a podcast. So, you know, there's a lot of struggling when you don't come from a very narrow place in the world. You know, like there are some people who are born into very privileged places and then there's the rest of the world. And it's hard. And I know it's a lot harder coming from where you've come from, navigating the spaces you've navigated. And you know what I've, I'm finding at the moment is when we talk about privilege, there are a certain group of people that feel personally attacked when you talk about privilege and that's because they don't understand in the context in which we're talking about it so privilege is something that is unearned you may be born into it you have it but it's not something you've worked for just because I'm South Asian and I'm a woman and I live with a condition doesn't mean I don't have any privilege there are so many situations in where I do like the fact that I'm a British citizen to me is a massive yes. privilege. The fact that yes. in you know English is my first language and I live in a country where English is you know the first language that's a massive privilege. So privilege isn't something that's like this fixed thing either. It's tangible. Mm. I also have situational privilege as well, and I think that's what I'm coming up against more and more. People are feeling like whenever you talk about inclusion or intersectionality or privilege. There are people that feel that by talking about it, you're taking something away from them. And that's a very dangerous argument, a counter argument. And people, you know, people call me racist for talking about this stuff. I'm like, how am I racist? This is my personal experience. Yeah. This not, if you don't like it, 
don't don't just call it racism. Just say I don't like it. Don't doesn't mean I'm racist. But I think I'm really proud to take up the space that I'm I'm taking up. But I equally am so happy when I see other South Asian women out there doing their thing because I never had any of that growing up. I never saw any of it growing up. I know we've got we we are much better now in terms of representation, but we're nowhere near where we should be. But I also feel that there are some South Asian women that won't ever support another South Asian woman yes. because they're like, no, yes. that should be me or that's my opportunity. Yes. But that's not the case. If there's one South Asian woman out there doing it, she's doing it for all of us and we are all winning collectively. So, you know, I'm always, always really touched by the support that I have. Um, and, you know, so many people are saying to me as well, Shani, you're everywhere. And I don't know if they mean it in a good way or a bad way, but I'm like, good, you better get used to it. Good. Because I'm going to keep taking up all this space. plan and sticking around. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's been amazing watching you um, on the soaps, watching you on um, this morning, you know, watching your TED talk, which I thought was incredibly inspiring. I really, really loved it. Uh, what have you got coming up? Tell us some of the more exciting things you've got coming up. More on-screen opportunities, which is really fun. Wonderful. I am planning Asian Woman Festival to take place yeah. in person this year. Oh my God, in real life. I know. <laughs> so it's a, it's a big thing to pull off in addition to doing everything else that I do. And then um, I'm also working on launching uh, an app for disabled people, a discount platform where disabled people can save money because I'm very conscious of the fact that there's no one out there doing anything about it. And here in the UK right now, we are sitting in the face of a, a cost of living crisis. And yeah, I'm really... I'm really worried that how, how that's going to affect disabled people. So lots happening, lots of uh, plates spinning. Um, but yeah, watch this space. I absolutely plan to watch the space and cheer you on and feel really excited for you. Thank you so much, Shani. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being a Masala podcast. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you for having me. I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to Masala Podcast, a Spotify original. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, to hear inspiring South Asian women challenging patriarchy, a space to be exactly the people we want to be and still feel like we belong in our culture and our community, and ultimately, a space where we feel less alone. I'd love to hear from you, so do get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk or go to my website, soulsutras.co.uk. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and presented by me, Sangeeta Pillai, Produced by Anushka Tate. Opening music by Sunny Robertson. Besharam, Batamiz, Gandhi, Hi Hi, Bad Betty. <laughs>